happens when we can do a much better job of interfacing with the human nervous system. Welcome to Future Bites with Dr. Bruce McCabe, where we explore pathways to a better future. And today we're exploring them with Dr. Elisa Donati, a senior scientist at the University of Zurich and ETH Zurich, who is working at the intersection of technology, neuroscience and medicine. And over the next 20 minutes, you're going to find out just how vast the opportunities are to rethink everything from the way we treat type 2 diabetes to obesity, uh, hormone imbalances, the way we interface prosthetic limbs and much more. Now, a quick heads up. The audio quality is a little different to my other podcasts because we recorded this one outdoors and we had to do a little bit of post-processing to reduce the background noises. Enjoy the podcast. Dr. Elisa Donati, welcome to the Future Bites podcast. Thank you for joining me. We're here to talk today about neuromorphic engineering. And I really want to take advantage of your visit to talk to you about that in the context of healthcare, because I believe your research is very focused on interfacing with the human um, neural network if you like mm-hmm. and i'd like to explore with you specifically a little bit about your background and uh, your current research focus and then really where things are going um what the possibilities are if we do this really well yeah so first of all thanks for having me here and sorry for my voice i lost my voice in the latest day <laughs> so i'm very sorry. um so my background i think is kind of interesting because i'm i studying during university as a biomedical engineer. <laughs> so I was studying actually how, you know, heart and, you know, how to build devices for making operation for heart. Yeah. So then when I finished my, my, my university, then I started a PhD in robotics. Actually, my PhD is something completely different. So I studied for like four years how to build underwater robotics fishes. Underwater yes, robotics? Yes, exactly. So something that is completely unrelated to what I'm doing now. But then I, I was so lucky that I had to spend one year abroad. So then I moved to Zurich and I spent one year with Professor Giacomo Indiveri in his group. Yeah. And he's doing neuromorphic processor. And while I was working with him on uh, robotics application, so I realized that I wanted to use uh, artificial or silicon neurons and synapses for building something that we can use in the uh, human domain, yeah, like yeah, for yeah. building these interfaces with the nervous system. So when you first got into it, it was about how to make robots more, what is called biomimicry in robots? Exactly, is that really exactly. what you so basically what I was trying to do, it was trying to reproduce the way the nervous system uh, controlled the locomotion yeah. and actually even switch between different kind of locomotion. Yeah. For example, there is this uh, famous underwater robots that is a lamprey robot. Yeah. Uh, or so it's the, like an eel type thing. Is it something. Yeah. It's an ancient eel and yeah. it has one of the primitive ways of uh, moving. Yeah. It's like a, really like creating oscillation in the water. Yeah. And the way it creates this oscillation is using some particular oscillators in the brain. Yeah. That is something that we have all over the brain, this oscillation. So, but this in particular was in the uh, basal ganglia. So the idea was try to reproduce the same way for controlling the 
for robot eels or exactly. something like exactly. that. Exactly. Uh, that'll give a few people nightmares to think of. <laughs> so, yeah. Good for you, I'm sure, for exploration and all sorts of things. And now you're at uh, EHT Zurich mm -hmm. and the University of Zurich, exactly. is that right? So you're yes. both institutions. Yeah, and our lab is a special lab mm -hmm. because it's a, we, it's a very multidisciplinary lab. So we try to combine the engineering side with the uh, neuroscience. Uh, so we have the engineering side from the uh, ETH and the neuroscience from the university. And we try to combine these two fields. Now, earlier, I heard you use a nice, a beautiful definition, a different one to what I normally hear, for what neuromorphic computing is. This is the language, speaking the language. Yes. Tell it, yes. so just can you give me that praise. What is so it? what I love to say is that I want to build these devices and I think they can improve um, traditional um, bioelectric, bioelectric devices yeah. because we can have systems that they, they speak the same language of the nervous system. Speak the same yeah. language of the nervous so system. So basically yeah. we can improve the communication, right? So yeah. Because they have the same way of communicating. And there's the fundamental thing. If we have systems that can speak the same language as the nervous system, then what's the potential for medicine out of that, right? And I think there's... I'm sure there's like 10 or, or more that pop into your head. And I'm just going to wait. There's a car passing, a bit of <laughs> noise, because um, we're outdoors doing this interview. But um, yeah, tell me about some of the devices, because we touched on them earlier, you know, pacemakers and prosthetics. And what are the things that excite you about the possibilities? So for me, I mean, I'm mainly driven by the idea of restoring some missing functionality. But I know there is uh, even people thinking of doing enhancement of, you know, some functionality that we can have in the body. Uh, but in my case... Enhancements as well. Yeah, okay. Well, let's, kind of, uh, let's, let's exactly. leave that for a bit. Yeah, yes. let's stick with just helping people so, out. Uh, exactly. So this is my main goal is uh, helping people. So, for example, I see a lot of potential for uh, um, treating chronic disease. <laughs> so, for example, like Alzheimer or Parkinson or even situations like spinal cord injuries because we can program our okay we can build ad hoc devices that are able to um, replace uh, some missing functionality so for example there is this case of the alzheimer where we have some particular part of the brain where they stop kind of stop working so there is a degradation yeah. of this neural activity so uh, one possibility for you know future uh, dream is uh, for a future dream is to replace these uh, cells with artificial ones and to restore some yeah. functionality. So actually provide artificial neurons that are very closely analogous to human neurons to maybe go back. Or perhaps even, I, I imagine, even therapies to stimulate neurons. Would that be on the horizon with neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's? Exactly. So, for example, in Parkinson, so in Parkinson, you can have something that you can stimulate. Uh, there are already now deep brain stimulation, but you can really use them to uh, really try to, to help the situation, like chronic disease like Parkinson. Yeah. So, depending on the chronic disease, you can either replace some missing functionality or replace or you restore missing functionality yeah. or you can treat some particular chronic disease. And if we think about traditional silicon chips, computer chips, to do these functions, there's big disadvantages in those chips compared to neuromorphic in that they're power hungry, they're um, gathering data all the time, so they're fast processing all the time. Whereas when we get to neuromorphic, which is much more like neurons, the way the hardware is designed, and so I want you to correct me if I'm wrong. But we can now do event-based tracking. We don't have to just gather data all the time. 
um, we can work um, <laughs> we can work uh, asynchronously, if you like, collect data uh, when when we need to collect it. Um, what else? We're, we're working in analog, right? Like the actual yes. signals in the body are working in analog. So now we're actually collecting signals in analog as well. Yeah, so, um, so basically something that is also behind this uh, analog principle is uh, something related to what I was saying before about building devices that speak the same language. Because uh, if you use now traditional approaches, so most of them, they work in what is called accelerated time. Yeah. So you have a system that is actually faster than the human body. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you have, uh, they compute some, some operation and then you have to wait and you have to keep information until the body is ready to receive it. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so basically you, you waste a lot of time and energy. Yeah. So what I try to do, I try to do something that gives you at the output something to send to the body once the body wants to receive it. Yeah. So that's the main difference. And the analog chip, they can do that. So you can use um, some principle of computational design to build this time constant, what we call time constant yeah. of communication. So let's run through what we could change here because we touched on this morning. So pacemakers. Mm -hmm. You said something about we could change the way pacemakers work to be taking signals from our uh, system to understand when we're under load or when we want to go running or something unusual, right? It's tell me about that. That would be a change. So, yeah, so the pacemaker was a kind of successful story. So um, the idea is that if you now traditional pacemakers, so they work pretty well, of course, and there are many advantages compared to 20 years ago, but still having something that is completely adaptable of what the subject is doing is not so easy. Yeah. So most of these uh, um, pacemakers, they rely on uh, measuring the, uh, the external world, like, I don't know, how I'm moving inside the world to try to understand how I should pace my heart. Yeah. But of course, if you uh, don't take into account what comes from the inside, but you take into account what comes from the outside, something is missing. So sometimes you, don't, you cannot really adapt in a proper way. So what we did in our project, it was like reading um, what our body is doing. In particular, so in the in biology, the heart is controlled by the respiratory system. Yeah. So the respiratory system decides um, the pacing of the heart. So what we were doing was reading information from the respiratory system. So we are actually reading the concentration of the oxygen in the blood, the concentration of the uh, CO2 in the blood. We were actually uh, monitoring how the diaphragm it was moving because of course, if you need to breathe faster, the diaphragm is moving yeah. faster. And we were taking all these data and we were using them to reproduce a twin of the respiratory system. And by using this twin, we were deciding how to pace the, the heart accordingly. That's how it works in life, right? The pace of the heart is determined yeah. from signals from the respiratory system. You've taught me that exactly, exactly, this yes. morning. And so when now we could get to a stage where we do the pacemaker, which is working the same way as it does in biology, effectively, now, the timing. So what the pacemaker is the way of controlling the pacemaker that is working exactly as our Mm. Yeah. System, nervous system is controlling the heart activation. Yeah. Fantastic. That's <laughs> it. That already is exciting. And when we talk about implants, for example, sensory implants like cochlear implants, um, what's the advantage there as we, we look at perhaps applying neuromorphic? Um, so from the, from the 
pure definition of the of the stimulation device itself. So before going to the strategy of how to do stimulation, for the stimulation itself, using um, CMOS technology can help you to miniaturize the devices. But what it really can bring advantages in the stimulation for any kind of uh, um, sensory neural impairments is the way we can generate the correct uh, strategy for stimulating the, um, the residual nervous uh, system. Because um, so traditional way of doing stimulation, they are based on uh, changing the amplitude of the current injected or uh, now we have something that try to change the frequency exactly in the same way the nervous system does. But what we know now is that trying to have something that is uh, more, oh sorry, less periodic, something that is more, um, let me say chaotic, <laughs> although it's not correct, but something that is not more really, that is something like noise. Yeah, okay? noise yeah. So this is something that is a uh, show that can really produce better, mm -hmm. um, elicit better sensation in the patient. Mm -hmm. And this is valid for, for, I think, for going from the somatosensory system to the cochlear one, so we can actually improve the way we stimulate. Yeah, Although, so the quality and the fidelity of the stimulation exactly, will exactly. improve. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And, and prosthetics, um, there's, there's people who have lost a limb, and we're now talking about bidirectional impulses so we a limb that can be controlled by reading our intentionality or reading off the nervous system but also importantly <laughs> a limb that signals back into the nervous system heat and pressure and touch and what's sharp and all those things right that's 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 a really exciting frontier that's very exciting and because you can really increase the so there is this study but it makes a lot of sense that even if you have a perfect control uh, you know you control the prosthetic devices in a perfect way um, if you miss the information of how you are touching the object, the control is not perfect. Yeah. Because let's say, let's make it. You a, need the feedback to do exactly, it. Exactly, but let's make a super simple example. I, I see a bottle, okay, but I, can, I don't see if inside I have water or not, okay, so it's not transparent. Yeah. And then I go and I try to, to, to hold, you know, to pull, you know, this, uh, to lift, sorry, this, uh, this bottle, and then inside the. So if inside I have water, I need to have a, a strong, you know, to apply more force rather if this bottle is empty. Yeah. And this is something that normally comes from, okay, from the visual feedback, but if I cannot see the bottle, it has to come from the way I actually, um, my, my interaction with the bottle. Yes. So this is something that can improve the control. So this is something that if we have this information, we can improve the control. But not only improving in control is important, it's yeah. also important to send something back to the subject to improve the engagement of yeah. the subject with the object, <laughs> plus the acceptability of the prosthesis. Yeah. I understand, I understand. Let's take a very brief pause. So back from a very short break, we had <coughs> background noises in the, in the background there. So, so it's exciting because prosthetic limbs, um, as you say, become, they become much more usable because you need that feedback, you need to have all of that input, and also it, it, it increases the acceptability, I think was the word you used exactly. with me earlier. Yes. Um, so patients who uh, are offered a limb, now there's just a whole lot, uh, it's a whole lot of a richer experience and, and more um, attractive experience, yeah. yeah. Um, I really love that idea, and, and I love the idea of... Um, uh, being able to sense temperature and things like that. I, I can only imagine what difference that makes in richness of life. 
The other thing you touched on, which I found really exciting, was when we look at the uh, autonomic system. Mm -hmm. So if we can interface more effectively with the autonomic system, it gives us a lot of new options for therapies, um, everything from um, hormones, control, uh, I think... Uh, is the epilepsy related to that, or is that much more about just uh, so the epilepsy? Not really. So yeah, no, okay. it's better detect epilepsy rather than treat it because it, epilepsies come like, for example, some um, seizures that you have in the brain. So it's not something that you can control. But okay. Yeah. So back to the autonomic system. Mm -hmm. what, what are the things that that might open up for us in medicine so um, if we can interface better? It's, I mean, if you are able to stimulate or neurostimulate, you know, using in my case electrical stimulation the uh, autonomic system, you can really open the many possibilities. I mean, you can go from the control of, uh, you know, for some kind of diabetes, like diabetes of type 2, where you actually have the hormones, but you, can, you have problem releasing it properly. Yeah. So you can actually try to stimulate the, the vagus nerve to release the hormones properly. Then just, or, just stop there. That yeah. is, that's huge. Yeah, that huge. is massive. If we can actually, um, yeah, use the simulation to release the hormones you have to address diabetes, you get that feedback loop going again. Exactly. That that alone would be just phenomenal. Okay, let's go on. No, no, sorry for interrupting. No, no, very it's exciting. absolutely true. And then you have to think that, as you said, as you mentioned, this is a continuous closed loop, right? Because it's important to have um, why, in this case, just say something about neuromorphic. Because, I mean, you can have this system in any way, right? So you mm -hmm. can actually use any kind of system. It doesn't have to be neuromorphic. But the reason why neuromorphic can be interesting is because you want to have... Uh, when you, you treat this kind of uh, uh, disease, you need to have a continuous monitoring. Yeah. So there is not something that you can measure once in a while. So the people with diabetes, they keep continuously you know, monitoring the level of the glucose. Yeah. So you need to have something that is small and always on and consume uh, not much power, right? Because otherwise you have to spend all the time changing the batteries of your system because you need to have yeah. it on. Yeah. So that's why the neuromorphic can be interesting. Yeah. And but then we can think of other possibilities because like, for example, something related again to the um, there is also something interesting for the obesity. So uh, there is a Obesive. yeah exactly. Yeah. So actually you can stimulate some autonomic nerve to basically stop the sense of, you know, um, of, uh, of, of eating. I mean, you know, you feel that you are hungry. Yes. So you can stop it by stimulating your. your oh, that your, is interesting. Actually, it's interesting, and I want Rather to say something. Rather than Ozempic or any of these drugs, we can maybe just do something so simple. Yeah, but I want to tell you some <laughs> funny story. Maybe it's interesting for you know, for the audience. So there was a company actually. They opened it for trying to do that, for trying to stop, you know, the, for the treating the obesity by using uh, stimulation. Yeah. Uh, the problem is that it's so important to be precise because if you're not precise, you can actually control something completely different in your in your system. So the yes. problem is that if you want to, to uh, create this, um, stop this, uh, this feeling, you need to stimulate somewhere at the neck level. <laughs> but at the neck level, you even have like nerves that they control your breathing. So the problem is sometimes they will actually uh, stop the, the breathing phase. So rather than stopping your sense of, you know, um, I mean, you stop eating, they will actually stop your breathing. So it was really, yes. So as you can imagine, the company failed. 
But yeah, so um, so that what I'm trying to say is that so now we are at the stage where we actually know how to control these problems. Yeah. But yeah, so it's what I'm trying to say. You need to be very precise in your screens. And that's but that is the advantage of uh, neuromorphic uh, yeah. systems in that we should that should allow us to be much more precise and much more biology like yeah. or both. Yeah, in the way we. Yeah, what is, what's the word? Bioplausible. Bioplausible. Yes. In the way we do that communication back yes. to the body. And, and also the advantages of having something that you can miniaturize and insert inside the body exactly at the location where you want to have the stimulation. Yeah. Because you can, if you want to have something like communicate from outside to inside, something can go wrong. So maybe if you have something that is really anchored yeah. near the place you want to stimulate, you can probably s solve many problems. Yeah, uh, I think you mentioned sexual dysfunction, uh, uh, erectile also, dysfunction, yes. that's a big target. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, anything else? I mean, there's quite a lot. The autonomic system, lot, I mean, there's so many uh, issues. Yeah, the, as I was saying, you can control the breathing, you can control yeah. the heart, diabetes. So uh, De Depression? Also depression. Actually, already now there are some cases of depression treated by using uh, neurostimulation, electrical stimulation, yes. You have to go a little bit higher, so mm -hmm. the level of the main cortex, but mm -hmm. yes. So. And every possible hormone and, and those sorts of functions, is it? if you've got a, 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 some sort of problem with the way it's currently working, mm -hmm. potentially you could decode the problem and enhance the signal or change the signal and, yes. and, and fix it. Have I missed anything? I mean, in medical terms, there's a long list there that we've covered. Is there anything that we've missed that we should add to that list or that people should know about uh, that excites you? No, I think we tried to cover more or less all the... Yeah, yeah. the big ones. And it really says to me that um, neuroscience, I mean, this combination of neuroscience and... Um, broader biology, medicine, yes, exactly. and technology. And They're the overlaps, right? Exactly. It's like a Venn diagram. It's about a multidisciplinary approach, yes. Yeah, and right there lies enormous opportunity in the, the future of medicine. It really, because um, there's so many different axes we've just explored, mm -hmm. and all of it through just a better interfacing with the nervous system. Yes. It's exactly. as simple as that. Dr. Elisa Donati, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks to you. It was really, was really a, a nice chat in a super nice environment. So, <laughs> so thank you. Man. All right, thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.